0: Good morning. This is Ennis Britton. How can I help you? Hey, Erin. How are you? Good. How are you? Good. So I have a question for you. Okay. It seems like we're dealing with a lot of discipline for students and staff, and we're getting stuck when it comes to having to make the MDR decisions. We seem to be losing the focus on the student, their needs, and their behavior. So my staff doesn't feel like they have a firm handle on how to make an appropriate decision. Can you help? Welcome to On The Call, Ennis Britton's special education team podcast. I am Erin Wessendorf-Fortman.
1: And I am Jeremy Neff.
0: And we are ready to dig into this call. So I think it's an interesting point, right, Jeremy, from these phone calls that we're getting now with regard to the rapid rise in some of the discipline that's happening, right? And the need then for these manifestation determination reviews or MDRs on the other side of that, with a lot of people not even knowing, right, because we've had turnover in education, what does this look like? How, how do MDR meetings behave?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think that, you know, when you talk about the rise in this, you know, far beyond the topic of this particular podcast – is the the mental health issues and the other issues just basic socialization that is different we we both have uh young kids and we see some of that firsthand Uh, i would just
0: go with my own personal socialization as well but that's (laughs) fine um yeah
1: so when when these calls come in or or any call comes in I, i think we both you know our first thought is to okay what's what's the black letter law that we're applying here what what do the regulations have to say in the context of an idea question So we we do have fairly detailed requirements here for a manifestation determination review. And, you know, starting with the basics, we're just looking at establishing, is there a sufficient connection between this child's uh, disability and this behavior? And it's got to be a pretty tight connection. We'll, We'll get into a little more detail on that. Or alternatively, is there some sort of, again, very direct connection between the way we've served this child or not served the child's IEP and what happened on this uh, particular occasion? Whatever they're up for discipline, uh, so you know this is this is not an optional step, but it doesn't kick in every single time we discipline. So as far as when we do this sort of thing,
0: so it doesn't have to be. You mean if we just have a three-day suspension for a kiddo, we're not talking about great MDR this time, but. If it's the fourth or fifth three-day suspension for a kiddo, we could be depending on the reasons for the suspension because we are required to hold MDR hearings within 10 days, 10 school days of the decision to change placement. So what that – when is that decision? That's your decision to suspend, right? It's not just, oh, well, it's less than a recommendation for expulsion, so I'm fine. It could be if this is the one and only disciplinary event and you are only looking at something other than 10 days. But if you are looking more or it has been more, I think that's a it's a different story. But even in terms of what is a change in placement, the law is pretty well defined on that, right? It is your consecutive 10 school days or that series of removals like we're mentioning. So looking at that connection over time in a school year and having a staff member being dead dedicated to at least considering what that looks like.
1: Pattern removals is a little tricky, right? So if it's not the the 10 consecutive, more than 10 consecutive in one instance, it's a little trickier in the sense that there is, it's subjective. So, you know, it's something where you're looking at is the type of behavior that caused the removals similar, is uh, what's the proximity of the removals to one another. It's one thing if we're talking about like September, then November, then April that we're doing these removals versus September, September, October, October, November. Uh, And and we're looking at then also that overall number. We have been told that uh, when discipline is recorded through EMIS, uh, Ohio's uh, education records keeping, that once you hit over 10 days that it's automatically flagged as a uh, change of placement. That's not what the regulations say, so mm-hmm. we can certainly have, you know, conversations, but those are definitely calling your attorney, getting some specific legal advice when you start to delve into those patterns of removal. So let's, let's assume we're to that step where uh, there is a change of placement. What's next?
0: Well, you hold the MDR hearing, right? So your manifestation determination review hearing. And I think that there's some, if you will, practical tips or discussion we can have on that. But the basics of that meeting are to discuss that relationship. So you ask two fundamental questions, and I believe they are questions 1C and D on Ohio's forms, which is a little ridiculous, but I believe that's what they are. And those are sort of the meat of, of that whole discussion, right? I think questions A and B are fairly easy in that it's talking about, did you review All of the information that was relevant in the student's file. Did you review all of the information that was relevant from the parents and the the teachers? Those are great, and most people can check yes to those things.
1: Can I jump in really quick and interrupt on that one? So, so there's the required form for manifestations. There's also a worksheet you can use, and I kind of like the worksheet. I think it helps. It's. I don't want to call it a crutch, but it gives some structure and that that is independent of the school team members and the parent team members. It's a piece of paper or it's a projection up on a screen where you're working through those two, I think, pretty easy items there.
0: Well, and I think it allows you to do the deep dive, which to me is important when you're looking at that substantial connection between the disability and the behavior. And so that to me, I think is really important. But the questions at least that we're asking, and the the fundamental really important one is this C question, was the behavior or conduct in question caused by or did it have a direct and substantial relationship to the child's disability? And then the second question in 1D is, was the conduct a direct result of the district's failure to implement the IEP? And those are the two, I think, hardest questions that teams get wrapped around, at least in these discussions, because At times, it can seem very combative, right? We're trying to say, is this connected? And as a school team, we're looking at it from the perspective of, you know, we need that direct nexus, that direct relationship. And I think the parents on the other side are looking at it from, is my kid going to be kicked out of school? right? And their main goal, which I can't blame them for, I would want to do the same thing if it were my kids to say, I don't want them out of school. I want them in school, no matter what. And so I I do think that we just all come at it with some different perspectives on what that looks like.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And and this is, you know, fairly primal, right? In some (laughs) of these meetings. uh, And, you know, survival, not just I want my kid in school, but I want to be able to go to work. (laughs) So, yeah, it it can get pretty intense, which is, again, where I think it can be helpful to, you know, obviously you're using the required manifestation form, but it it can be helpful to have that worksheet as well because uh, it it projects the attention somewhere else. It's less, uh, you can't see me gesturing, but it's less back and forth and it's more looking to that third place. That can be a helpful strategy
0: not a bad idea. I think in part of it, in just looking at how this is applied across the board, I know, in, in preparing for the podcast and looking at these, we try to look at case law just to say, hey, what's relevant, what's happening? And I think to, to hit on some of maybe the practical points that we're mentioning as we go, and that we'll sort of summarize at the end of this, there was a case that, while albeit came out of Connecticut this past June, I thought it was really intriguing because there was an 8th grade kiddo who had posted a, a threat depicting a gun on Snapchat. And so he had otherwise been identified um, through IDEA in the category of OHI based on ADHD, right? So 10 days with a wreck based on the threat, sat down at the MDR, and parents and team actually agreed. They were all like, you are correct, and they noted this in all the prior written notices, which I personally love, right? If you're not there, we want to see the story, but they thought it was really interesting because the team said, hey, parents agreed. This was not impulsive. It wasn't just an in inaction. The kid was like, oh, this is really funny. I'm going to post it. He had actually gone through the process of surfing the web, selecting an image, captioning the post, discussing it with a friend, downloading it, and then posting it. Parents agreed until on the other side of it, they said, oh, wait a minute. Wait. This means my kid is going to be out of school. I don't want this. This means there's actually going to be student discipline. And so they then filed an appeal and the, um, the IHO in that regard in that due process said, hey, premeditation and actions that require multiple steps really are strong indicators. This is not a manifestation of impulsivity. It's not a manifestation of ADHD with impulsive type at that point. And so The fact that you disagree later on and we note an agreement at the table, the IHO found it to be, you know, not really that credible that you wanted to fight it on the other side.
1: So we have that where the school did a great job, that documentation, which really lends that credibility. It shows this is not something being made up after the fact. And then the IHO also looked at that documentation to establish procedural compliance,
0: right? Correct. Correct. Mm -hmm. So in looking at that and saying, hey, what did you do with the MDR? Did you look at all of the digging into the details of the student's behavior, right? We actually went into instead of sitting at an MDR hearing going, okay, well, they put up a post. That sounds impulsive. They dug in in that meeting to talk about how he had to surf the web, how he had to download an image. We don't get into those murky details often, right? We just know that a kid made a post but in this case it was helpful to go through what exactly does it mean to make a post on something like snapchat you know you have to have some foresight in doing that it's not as if this is just an image that you can grab from the sky and then throw back out and it's an impulsive action so i think knowing that we dug into the facts of the behavior itself and then as well as the facts behind what did the disability look like for this kiddo
1: that, that is so often a challenge, right, especially if a parent brings in an advocate or a relative or whoever it might be. It, sometimes the conversations devolve into a discussion of what the DSM-5 would describe as a child versus this is the child that we know and have served in many cases for years.
0: Well, or the Google. Right. I went on the Google and the Google said that this is all the things that ADHD or I, I pick on that one just because it's sometimes the easiest. Or what does maybe impulsivity look like for a kiddo with ADHD impulsive type versus just I hate to say it, your you know typical or even your typical kid. Right? Mm-hmm. I mean kids are impulsive by nature. They see something like You see a cookie on the counter, at least in my house right now, cookies on the counter, my kid's going to walk up and eat it. I don't care that dinner's in five minutes, right? Of course. And so looking at where is the line between a typical behavior for impulsivity and maybe disability-related behavior for impulsivity – And so I think that you can add in a variety of different disabilities that we could talk through with MDRs at maybe a later time. What does MDR look like for emotional disturbance? What about MDRs for, um, you know, an SLD kiddo? All of those things could be delved into and we could be talking for an hour. No one wants to hear that. (laughs)
1: But. But the bottom line is here, this school did a great job considering the information that was before the team. This was not a rush through. This wasn't just checking the boxes. Then they documented that they had a thorough discussion of this child needs, his individual unique needs, and the particular behavior that occurred in this case.
0: But I also think in in that, in looking at all of that documentation, it was helpful in this case, the parents agreed, Mm -hmm. right? I think when you get in trouble, not in trouble, the conversations become much more problematic, even if the screen is up with the worksheet, when we're talking and there's not agreement, right? Mm -hmm. And so uh, we've been in meetings, as I'm sure all of us have, where it's like, well, how do we move off neutral, right? How do we go to yes or no to lean? And I think there's some Misunderstanding even in that you really start in neutral because I don't think the questions are posed in that fashion.
1: Yeah, absolutely. They, they used to be in some ways posed almost as though it was assumed it was a manifestation. Right. And we don't want to go too far into the regulations that are now over a decade old The when we had the change. But right now, they're written in a way, it's almost presumed there's very high dollar language, you know, is there a direct and substantial connection to the child's disability? Or if you're on that factor of uh, whether the IEP was implemented, is there a direct and substantial connection between the failure to implement the IEP and the behavior? This isn't just some sort of tangential, hey, my kid has ADHD, can't be held accountable.
0: No, and I don't think it is. And I think with that, focusing as a district to make sure that you are at least training your staff. And so if we shift into a little bit of let's talk practical points, right? How do we at least best help our, you know, school people work this in every day? Making sure your staff are trained to know that this is a high bar, direct and substantial. Is not just it, I didn't do um, track, so I don't know how, how high the hurdles were. Um, but and I'm also Depends short, so no joke. <laughs> <laughs> so it, at least if we look at it from the perspective of this is not a one foot hurdle, like this is a four foot, five foot hurdle, maybe three foot. I don't know what the I mean, tall it's hurdles jump. are. It's, it's, <laughs> it's not. Like, I don't know that it's high jump, but it's <laughs> it's real high, right? And looking at that, then that direct connection, right? So. Mm-hmm. Really a direct connection, not a tangential relationship. You're really high. And looking at then also, if we have failed to implement an IEP, which includes a behavior plan, making sure that that failure connects to the behavior. And so if you failed to maybe provide some OT minutes, but we're talking about, let's say, this threat on Snapchat, seeing that direct connection between what was provided and what the behavior was, I think is also important.
1: And, and built into what you're saying is also some of the process in terms of you can't do those things if the team members aren't reviewing the IEP, aren't reviewing the ETR. Uh, it's the worst feeling in the world to be sitting in one of these meetings and somebody asks a question like, well, I haven't really seen the ETR. You're, you're not compliant then just by nature.
0: Absolutely. So, bringing in, and I think that's why I'm pointing out earlier that worksheet is really important because it will allow you to say we've talked, we've brought in the ETR, we've brought in the IEP, having even some of the worksheet developed and advanced as a draft, no decisions made, but pulling in pieces. Also, though, having the ETR and IEP, even if you've done that, to show parents where you've pulled it from so that it's not just, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah I did that. Let's just move on. This is another, you know, step in the process we have to get through, I think is, is important.
1: And also including information the parents might bring, including to that meeting. So they show up at the MDR and they've got the the new evaluation. We want to show that that was considered. It doesn't necessarily have to sway the decision one way or the other, but we have to show that it was considered and document that also.
0: Documenting it in both the worksheet, possibly, and also the most important piece, uh, prior written notice, PRO1, PWN, whatever you call this. But I do think having the details of that discussion, we aren't required to provide a minute-for-minute recount of what happens in those meetings. But when you don't, at least go into some detail. I think it can harm you later if the parents choose to fight or disagree with what has happened. I think it also could harm you in, you know, if something happens now and in two more years, it happens again, very similarly. And one is a manifestation. Why do we want to show one isn't? Having the details is really important.
1: So this is an area of law where there are a lot of different rabbit holes you can go down. And we plan on doing that in other episodes. Uh, But it's an area where some of those basic steps that we've just talked about can go a long way to either avoiding a fight to begin with or prevailing uh, in the event that you do end up on the receiving end of a complaint or a due process. So uh, lots of opportunities here. Any any final thoughts?
0: No, I do think that understanding the basics on each step along the way is really important. And I think that was the goal of of, of this sort of conversation to just let's lay the groundwork and then we can dig in to uh, other sort of tangential items or other offshoots here in future podcasts.
1: That's it for today's episode. Thank you for joining us. A quick note, this podcast is intended to be used for general information only and is not specific legal advice. If you have a specific question, please consult an attorney.
0: Be sure to check out other episodes at ennisbritain.com or wherever you find your podcasts.
1: If you have a topic you would like to learn more about, a question about today's episode, or anything else you would like to share, please email us at podcast at ennisbritton.com. We're looking forward to talking with you again soon.